webmasterradio.fm Make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. Your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Hey there, this is Susan Bratton. I'm your host today at AdTech Connect, and I have a show for you with three interesting people. My show is called Roving Eyes and Little People. And you'll figure that out as soon as you start hearing about some of the things we're going to do. We're going to talk about video ad formats we might actually like. We're going to learn about a concept called remixing cultural practices. I'm as excited to hear about what that is as you may be. We're going to learn about little talking web people and how they do that. We're going to talk about indecency on television. I don't know about you. Can you get enough? You're going to learn about a practical joke that happened on YouTube that you might not have been aware of. Find out about a dog whistle that only teens can hear and how it backfired on the developers. And a scoring index for Web 2.0 companies. Remember we talked about, uh, with John Battelle on a recent show, certifier.com, where you could actually go to a website and you could see if your website was a certifiably Web 2.0 site. And it was a goof site. It was done by... Um, Oh, the ad break guys, PUD. And, uh, you know, if you had pink on your site, if you had a blog on your site, you could be certified Web 2.0. So we're going to hear uh, the real story of how you score for Web 2.0 companies. Our three guests today are Matt Wasserloff. He's the CEO of Broadband Enterprises. After that, we'll hear from Marissa Gluck, the founder and managing partner of Radar Research. And then Len Ostroff, the CEO of Rovion, is going to come tell us about those little people. So let's get Matt on the line. Hey, Matt, how are you? Hi, Susan. Good morning. How are you doing? Real well, thanks. Great. So Broadband Enterprises, you started that just a couple of years ago as essentially a rep firm for interactive broadcast spots. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So what, we, we what was grown, the, grown, the brainchild sorry, behind Susan. it? Well, it's grown, grown up a lot since then, but yes, the basis of Broadband Enterprises is an unwired network. We represent over 500 video site affiliates, and in so doing, we, we work with the largest TV marketers in the world, companies like Procter & Gamble, Pfizer, Microsoft, GM, and they're moving systematically their TV dollars across the table into broadband video. So they want the emotional capability of video. They're comfortable in the format. And now that the web supports it and, what, 60-something percent of people who are online are accessing the web over broadband now. So, you, so the time was right, you thought, in 2004, okay, this is ready to happen? It was ready to pop. And as you said, the critical distribution or the critical reach was now amassed online in online video, uh, which is today now over 100 million U.S people, U.S. US population is now watching streaming video on their computers. A hundred million? A hundred, actually, uh, just looking at the April report, over 120 million people now are actually watching streaming video. This is becoming their destination to watch the next generation of television. And so you're offering access to marketers from a network perspective to buy across multiple sites and run these ads. 
when when you started this company, you, you have what about ten people now in your company? We're twenty people. We're twenty, 20 people. Susan. Good for you, Matt. So you have twenty <laughs> people now. You started it. Did you start it with your partner, or did you start it all by yourself? I started it by myself, but uh, soon uh, Brian Evie, who's now our chief operating officer, had joined me from a technology company called Wave Express. And did you ever take any funding for the company, or was this total bootstrap? It's total bootstrap organization. We really built the company on on the strength of some uh, some of our larger TV marketers who needed a reach component. They needed the opportunity to scale uh, in the space. Uh, they effectively moved TV dollars, and when you buy television, you're buying cum, you're buying large amounts of reach, and that really was what was lacking in the streaming video industry, and that's the challenge we took on. So essentially, you offer as many streams as the, as the average high-end portal these, these days. Is that right? That's correct. That's good. That's correct. That we, we aggregate over a half a billion streams per month, which is right on, along the lines of AOL and Yahoo. And what was the scariest point in building broadband enterprises? When did you think, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done this? <laughs> Well, I, I guess that was just the, the earliest days. Uh, I, I had worked over four years at a company called The Feed Room, and uh, it was great to be part of uh, an early incubator in the space, if you will, uh, and, and really just getting started, uh, having had a great run, a great experience there. You know, ultimately, you know, the, the largest marketers have to look at you and believe in, in, in what you're building and, and what your vision is, and so maybe some of those earliest days getting out on the street and, and making the pitch and getting in front of those marketers was, uh, was part of the, the, the fear. But uh, ultimately, you know, what, what we're doing is right and what the industry is building is right. Uh, this, is, this is where the viewership is going now. When, when something breaks, when there's a major event or a major news story, uh, the, the web is a lot more accessible oftentimes than is your television set, and it provides that information and that video now uh, in a lot more uh, accessible manner uh, than, than does television. Yeah, on demand. I want to see on it demand. now. Where's the clip? So Correct. What was the what was the thing? You know, looking back over the last two years of building this this broadband network, what was the thing that you are amazed at that took so unbelievably long? Like you thought it would happen really early, and it's just starting to happen now. Well, I, th I think it's I think it's a, uh, just from just from the basis of believing that you can really use video online. I mean, the infrastructure need to, needed to happen, and that just that just took a lot longer than some of the earlier pioneers who who got into the space had believed. Uh, you know, we've been really you know hitting the ground with broadband since '96. You know, some of the earliest players like CNET, Excite, Susan, you certainly. Uh, I mean, we had believed that that would come to four much earlier than, than the, the critical masses came, came to the medium. So here we are 10 years later, uh, and now we see that there is that 100 million uh, unique viewers of broadband, and that's now just when some of the major agencies are, are moving serious dollars across the table and building upfront programs to support it. So I, I guess it's, it's really just that, that infrastructure that needed to take hold, and it took a lot longer than we had thought. And, and what was the easiest thing? What was the thing that was totally in flow, as we say out here in California, the sprout, <laughs> sprout land? What, what just worked? What just made you think, yeah, man, I'm, t I'm in the zone? 
when you're a viewer and you're watching this thing, it, it, it's, it's phenomenal. It's amazing to think that you can access a piece of content that you want when you want it. And, and when you see that, when you see that happen, and even when we saw it in the earliest days of this business, we knew it, it had to come true. It, it, it had to be the next thing. And, and so maybe it's just the actual experience of watching a piece of content you want to watch when you want it is what just flowed. And now today, everybody is grasping that notion. You know, I'm, I'm almost thinking we need to retire the term broadband. It really feels long in tooth to me. I mean, isn't, isn't most advertising now, with the exception of search, pretty much, I mean, there's, yeah, there's lots of banners and text links and things, but you know, there's, there's a lot of rich, interactive, video-based, flash-based, Rovion, we've got Len coming on the show because he's got a cool little thing going on. But, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff out there. Is, is broadband a word we even need anymore? Well, maybe it's not, and I, I could certainly, I could certainly agree with you. It is going to become the de facto way of, of of advertising on the web. But like you said, Susan, I mean, we're still this, the 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 ten billion dollars that are being spent online is still primarily banners and text and, and buttons. So you know, while we're excited about where this is all going, it's still right now uh, uh, only a fraction of of what the what it's going to be potentially. So we we we, we use the word. Uh, it, it represents, you know, what is the most exciting dynamic in the industry. But right now, we there's still it's all it's all upside, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to drive the business. So the, my name of my show today, because I have to name everything, is Roving Eyes and Little People. The Roving Eyes really comes from the idea that people are no longer just reading content but watching content and that, that our eyes and what we, what we put our eyes on, what we lay our eyes on online is, is changing. And I, I wonder at what point, if ever, you believe there will be a time that people actually watch more video online than they read text and look at other content. Will that ever happen? Two years, Susan. In two years, oh, it's going Maddie. to become a video-based <laughs> business. Uh, I, I had a, a wonderful conversation with a gentleman named Bob Williams, who's who's the CEO of PBS, and he said to me, Matt, I'm thinking about turning on our site in pure video only, and that was music to my ears. It's something I believe was a long time in the coming, and you're going to see companies in the next year to two years, and I think it's going to really take shape in two years when every site is going to be foremost video-based content. Good for you. Ah, hey, that was a damn good question I asked, apparently. <laughs> so what do you think about the YouTube phenomenon? Why is that company so white-hot, and how long is it going to last? Well, I, I think we're all seeing that the, the phenomenon right now is user-generated content. There's no question about that. And, and it's just because the model of streaming video, where, where, where it seems to be really coming from, uh, the growth is from the day-to-day -day people who now know there's no barriers to entry to get into the broadcast video business. Uh, and that is a complete complete contrast to the way TV was born, which was a, a business driven primarily by three major networks. So this is going to be an exciting uh, exciting trend to watch. YouTube has been obviously in the, in the forefront here. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a, a, a sustainable model. I 
think the, they are aggregating more of that content than anyone. Uh, they've done it uh, in any manner possible. There's been some uh, there's been some claims that a lot of the content they aggregate they didn't even have license to, but they've created a community right now that is the destination to watch user-generated content. And I think they have something, I think you have lightning in a bottle right now. The question is how long they'll be able to sustain that. I, I don't think they'll be able to sustain it over the long run. And why do you not think they'll be able to sustain it? Because ultimately the web is about uh, the, the producer having, as I said, no barriers to entry. It's, it's, it's all about you know, being able to go right to the web with the content that you create, that you're passionate about. And you know, as, you, as users who are now creating this content understand that and deploy technology that's allowing it, uh, they're, they're going to create their own stake in the ground, their own, their own domain to publish. So YouTube has become, for a lot of users, the place to go, but they're soon going to learn through search and through other techniques that they can get ultimately to that piece of content uh, in a more direct fashion. So, you know, the, the YouTube's charge right now is to, is to build that brand as quickly as possible uh, and make that destination the place to go. Uh, and and that, that's what their challenge is. I, I don't know if it's sustainable over the long term. What do you think about Brightcove? They're trying to build uh, a platform where you can acquire more highly produced content, as I understand it. Well, I mean, I, just speaking to, you know, enabling the user uh, and the producer to, to publish, Brightcove stands squarely in that space, and they've created a, a, a great technology, an easy technology, an enabling technology to do just that. Uh, so I think they're in a, in a fantastic position, uh, and, and I, I think that as long as they continue to market themselves uh, as they have, they, they stand to win in the end. So how would you describe Brightcove to a person who's not deeply involved in the video world? Brightcove is the toolbox in order to get into the video business in, in a quick uh, fashion. And so that, that is a powerful, uh, powerful strategy uh, that they seem to be gaining a lot of traction. Are there any other companies out there that you think in this kind of the, the, the online video arena that we should be looking at? Well, I, I think there are a number of them of uh, strong technology companies like Feedroom, uh, like pla the platform, uh, companies like that that uh, have very similar enabling technologies uh, that are maybe just not as well funded or aren't marketing themselves quite as well. But the, the, those are companies like that. Dayport is one that comes to mind, multicast media, uh, that are providing uh, any user or any company to get into the video business. And so there'll be more technologies to come, but those are the major players today. What do you think of the podcasting craze? Podcasting? I, I think that that's yet another way to express. And, and, you know, I'm fascinated to see if they're really able to, to drive video through, through podcasting. I mean, it's become uh, a real enabling technology, much like we're talking about uh, Brightcove and some of these other new video technologies. But it's an easy way for a publisher to, to, to express themselves and, and get their content distributed. So I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely a, a technology that's going to sustain. And you're on one right now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm soaking in it. <laughs>
<laughs> a good one, too. A good one. Uh, good. I, well, hey, you're doing a really good job because most of the time people get on here, I, uh, every time I have to say, hey, don't do a monologue. This is supposed to be entertainment, like take a breath, and you're doing it awesome. <laughs> I'm in the business with Donnie Deutsch, so uh, I've, I, I guess I'm watching some of the best. Oh, I like him. And you know what cracked me up? Did you see the one where he had Bill Gates on? Yes. Bill Gates was so freaking boring. I mean, and you know, Don, I mean, Donnie really all he likes to work with are strippers and hookers and stuff like that. So it cracked me up when Bill Gates was sitting across from. I'm sure it's like I don't know. There were like some, some stripper cooties that probably got on Bill from that sofa. <laughs> <laughs> now that's that 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 is that makes good television, Susan. Even oh, I know it does. I, as a matter of fact, you're not wearing clothes right now, are you, Matt? Yeah, uh, no, just I'm in my boxers actually. <laughs> It did crack me up, though. Even That's Donnie could get Bill to be very interesting. You know, <laughs> it was painful to watch, wasn't it? You're doing He's a terrific. Good man, though. You're doing terrific. He's a good man, that Bill Gates, He's giving away all that money to change the health of the world. God bless him. God bless him. Putting money to putting money to good. Absolutely. So one of the things I promised in my opening today was that you might tell us about some new video ad formats that we might actually like. You know, sometimes they're a pain in the ass for us as end users. So what's right. going on in the area of advertising format innovation? Well, I think that uh, now that online video has, has had its uh, last couple of years to start to, you know, get some traction, we're now going start to start to do some things that are going to take it to the next level. Uh, we uh, at Broadband Enterprises just put out some original content, and we product placed the Honda Fit in that content, and we're seeing some great results. We're interested, and I'm hearing more and more from clients that are interested to actually hotspot that content so that the user, can, when prompted, could start to click on and, and, and generate some interactivity around that product placement. So there's a company that we've had uh, some, some very strong uh, uh, conversations with in terms of really making this stuff come to life. Uh, what the company is called Vimation. It's actually out of uh, L.A. Who is starting to, you know, create some hot spotting around particular aspects of video content to really bring the product uh, products within that video to life. That I think is going to be uh, an exciting content or technology play that we're going to see in the very near future. I have been a fan of hotspot video for ten years. I, I came it. out of the multimedia world, like pre-internet, CD-ROM, DVD, you know, uh, video disc, all that stuff. And, um, you know, back when there were video discs, there were hotspots. So it's, it's not a new concept. And it's funny, we, we had um, Rebecca Pauletti, you probably know her from Maven Networks on the show yep. three or four weeks ago. And sure. uh, it's funny because as soon as I think about hotspot video, I think about their CEO, Hilmi Osgoch. And he doesn't believe that that's a good idea. He doesn't think that, y that consumers or us as people, let's just call us people, that we will click in video. That he, he believes that video is a, a linear format and that you are going to watch that, not explore that. And so what they've done at Maven, as you probably know, is build around the video so that you can do other stuff in the experience but not click in the video. And, and yet I still think that 
hot spot. I don't know. It just seems like it's a great. It's a no brainer, Susan. I'm with you. It's a no brainer. I mean, this is this is something that we've we've had in the lab, as you said, for the past ten years. Companies like Vion. I mean, unfortunately, came Vion, blank right. because it was just too early. Name. There wasn't enough viewership. Well, the, the day has come now where video is out there. Uh, we're hitting the critical mass, and absolutely, click through rates in video are an exponent of banners. So we're, we're already seeing highly active and interactive users on video content, and we're not preparing the content for for the ability to click on specific areas or specific products. So once we start to incorporate these technologies, as we're talking about, that that is going to come to life. It's going to be a, a tremendous driver of the business. And so um, Vimation, what are those guys out in LA? They're in L.A., so yeah. they're, they're doing a lot of work in sort of the extreme sports surfing areas, uh, which makes a, a ton of sense, and now they're looking to go broad, uh, and, and I think they're really onto something, and most importantly, as, as we said, it's about timing. Uh, the timing is right, so as, as, as we can build responsible models around this, I think it's going to be a highly and hot marketing uh, opportunity. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, so... I, I need to just get an update from you on what's going on in your life. Obviously, you're doing well. There's lots of innovation in your market. You've aggregated a ton of, of publishers, so you're doing well with marketers. I love the Honda stuff, by the way. Uh, you know, they're doing a great job with their integration. And with the Element, I mean, it's the perfect market for them. So Absolutely. I'm glad to see that. I hope you get 20 more clients like Honda who are big <laughs> believers in the next pushing the, pushing the envelope, absolutely. That's, that's what we need. That's what we, I mean, look, the basis, the basis of the business today is, is repurposed TV commercials. And you know what? It, 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 it's, easy to, it's easy to bash that, but it's, it's built a foundation now we, we can build upon. Uh, and the most important thing is it's, it's the big marketers with, with large budgets who are recognizing TV doesn't offer them the accountability that we have in web video. So we have a basis now to build on. The Hondas and companies like that, Microsoft, uh, are starting to really push the envelope in terms of creating new content, getting it out there, and, and, and really starting to, to build these new models that we think are, are ultimately going to take the business where it ought to go. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time. Uh, I think the, the next year into 2007 is going to be breakthrough uh, in terms of turning this market in from the Fortune 100 to the Fortune 1000. Emotion meets accountability. That's what we're really talking about here, isn't it, for marketers? That is exactly right. Nice. Matt, I'm so, so happy for your success, and it's just the tip of the iceberg for you, man. You're a great guy. You always have been just the best, and uh, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. Susan, thanks go. for being supportive over all these years. I'm, I'm excited about having uh, a lot of success together and driving the industry together. My pleasure, Matt. Th We're gonna go thanks to, for having uh, me on the show. Break. We're going to go to a commercial break, and we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk to Marissa Gluck. Stay tuned. Sit tight and don't move. Ad Tech Connect. We'll be right back. Google AdSense, how do I earn from thee? Let me count the ways. Google, you enable me to show targeted ads complementing my site so my visitors keep clicking throughout the day and night. 
It was so easy to apply and select the ad formats I liked. Since I've discovered AdSense, I've been filled with delight. So earn more with matching ads, and you too can discover how. Just visit google.com slash AdSense now. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. Captain's log, stardate 8130.3. Starship Enterprise on training mission to Gamma Hydra, Section 14. Identify for retina scan. It's Monty Khan. Khan, you've got Genesis, but you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. The masses are starting to get online and get their identities and find new ways to make money in the marketplace, and I think they're all aiming their guns. You have a tendency to express ideas in military terms, Mr. Khan. This is a social occasion. Well, they are party animals. They do throw uh, some of the best parties in our industry, that's for sure. Evaluation, Mr. Spock. Crude methods, but effective. We posted our booth up next to uh, a booth that's giving away beer. How appropriate that is for you guys, huh? Hey, I've taken care of everything. Now, all y'all got do just relax doctor's orders if i don't see you next week i'll see you in two weeks from now same time same place Khan, how do we know you'll keep your word i promise you be the master of your domain <laughs> don't incur the wrath of Khan. listen to domain masters wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern only on webmasterradio.fm Now, back to AdTech Connect, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Hi, this is Susan Bratton, and uh, I wanted to let you know about our show next week. It's called Speaking of a Girl, which is, of course, the name of my theme song for the show. Um, It's all about pop and glam next week. We've got Scott Schiller, the CRO of Glam Media, and Brian Sugar, the publisher of Sugar Publishing, on the show. And it's essentially a delicious segment about women online and how sites are evolving to capture their hearts and minds and um, leveraging social media and new types of content innovation. Um, If you want to know what kind of hot you are, you can take a quiz on the show next week. And uh, where to go if you're a gossip fiend. Some of us are. Uh, So we're going to talk to... 
Scott and Brian next week about just those things. Hope you'll tune in. Now we have on the line Marissa Glock. She's the founder and managing partner of Radar Research. Um, she's pretty famous in our industry and uh, very intelligent, well-spoken, and fun. And uh, are you there, Marissa? I am. Hi, Susan. How are you? Very good after hearing that. <laughs> great, great, great. I know. I even like your new photo on the site. It looks beautiful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Radar Research. This is your newest and your own company for the first time. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, right. Well, I had been at Jupiter Research um, during the, the golden years and then the not-so-golden years. And I left in 2002 to go back to graduate school. So I moved to London, and then I moved to... Los Angeles to finish up um, my studies at USC, and coincidentally, another senior analyst from Jupiter Research, Aram Sinreich, was also there in the same program. He's getting his PhD, um, and we were both studying communications and media and wound up uh, doing some complimentary freelance projects for former colleagues and former clients at Jupiter, and then we wound up working on some projects together. So we decided to formalize that relationship about a year ago and started Radar Research as a custom media research company out here so, in Los Angeles. So a custom media research company. I know that you have a couple of projects you've been working on. Could you give us an example of exactly the kind of companies that, that you could help? Um, you know, what's your niche compared to other people in the marketplace? Sure. I think um, given my background in advertising and marketing and Aaron's background in media and music, we tend to be focused on entertainment and technology. So, for instance, um, we've done some work for Sony Pictures Entertainment out here. We've done a lot of work for, for DoubleClick um, back in New York. We've done work for some of the trade organizations like Sempo and the OPA. Um, we've also, part of, our, part of our mission is to work for nonprofits, um, to do some work for interesting nonprofits that um, tend, to, tend to be activists in nature and um, whose political leanings tend to coincide with ours. So we've done some work for the Norman Lear Center out here. They're an entertainment research think tank. And we've done some work for the Electronic Frontier Foundation in San Francisco. Um, most recently, Aaron was actually an expert witness in the Sony Rootkit uh, settlement hearings. So it tends to range everything from nonprofits to um, the studios to media companies to, to technology companies to some of the trades, um, trade organizations. So how was it, go, I'm going to come back to some of this research that you're doing because I want to get into it, but how was it to go through the whole Jupiter experience and then go back to school? Was it, did it freak you out? Humbling? <laughs> um, it was, no, it was, it was great because I, um, I came out of college in 95 and my first job ever was in interactive media. I work for um, an agency called Amirati Puris Lintas that is now low, actually. Yeah. Um, they've gone through many, many iterations since then. As have um, most agencies in the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, you know, right out of school, you know, I started work maybe a week or two before Netscape went public. Yeah. So, um, you know, I really started right at the beginning there and, you know, watched the industry grow. I, I went to um, iTraffic about a year after Amirati, and you want to talk about um, a boot camp. I mean, it was yeah. a wonderful learning experience, and it was it's so exciting to be some, part of something entrepreneurial, you know, watching that grow and then going to Jupiter. And I think I was employee number 150 at Jupiter. Wow, watching so it was Jupiter, pretty big by the time you got there. Yeah, yeah. So watching Jupiter grow, watching them go through a merger, watching them then go through, um, you know, sort of splitting that merger, um, it was, you know, an incredible learning experience. And it was, um, 
you know, you got to see the, the best and the worst. And Can so, I put it that way? <laughs> yeah. No, that's, yeah, I, I understand. Um, <laughs> um, you know, but then, you know, to answer your question, going back yeah. to school, you know, I decided that um, having worked, you know, in interactive for about a decade, um, I really wanted to round out my educational experience with media, going back to school, starting to, to understand some of the, the underlying theoretical assumptions around audience effects, around media research, around um, uh, corporate um, ownership, and, you know, all those issues that really play into our everyday media consumption. Um, so going, going back to school, like I said, it's, it's a little bit humbling after, you know, being, you know, kind of a rock star at Jupiter and then going back to, you know, being a lowly grad student. But for me, it was very gratifying, and my experience was wonderful because at SC, I taught classes there. I taught classes on the Internet to, um, you know, to 20-year-old college students who still thought it was the coolest thing that they, they could possibly work in. They still all wanted to work in interactive. Yeah. And if you could impart one piece of wisdom to someone who is in college today about the Internet opportunity, what would it be? Oh, my God, that's a tough question. Good. Um, you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think that the the um, probably most important um, quality a um, potential employee could have in this industry is flexibility, is adaptability, that um, understanding that this is an industry that changes at lightning speed more than any other industry I've ever encountered. Yeah. And um, being able to adjust to that, you know, being nimble um, and understanding that, you know, your, your failures aren't necessarily um, failures. They're not the be-all and end-all. I think that's probably, uh, you know, the, the best advice I could give. It's interesting. When I asked the question, I didn't know, I didn't have an answer myself. And as I asked it, I answered it in my own mind, and it was exactly the same thing. My advice would be keep up with the latest things because it constantly evolves, and you're only the most valuable if you understand right. directionally where everything's going. Right. And, you know, I think that the mistake a lot of people make is that they think they have to understand everything at once. Yeah. Um, and it's an, it's, it's an unknowable industry um, in that sense. It's just impossible to know the newest and latest and greatest at all times. Um, yeah. There's always going to be something that surprises you or throws a curveball at you. So to just to be able to have the analytical skills to, to confront that and to understand it is pretty important. So let's go to some of the research that you're doing because obviously it gives you the opportunity to do two things that you love. One, keep an eye out on everything that's going on in the Internet, which I know you like to do, but also right. go deep into a couple of areas. And there were three things in the prep information that you sent me that piqued my interest, and I've okay. promised that we'd talk about two of them okay. in uh, the show today. The first one was the scoring index for Web 2.0 companies. Right. We're fascinated by that because we've been talking about that a lot on the show lately. We had a Web 2.0 um, show, I think it was last week, with John Battelle and Roy D'Souza, where we mm -hmm. really defined what Web 2.0 is, and we were joking about it and, and those kinds of things. So what is a scoring index? How do you score that? Um, well, this is an idea that um, uh, actually derived out of another project that we were working on. Um, well, basically, because most of our work is custom research, um, the... The research that we do, um, it's proprietary. It belongs to our clients. So it's very difficult for us to go on shows like this and talk about research that we're doing when, um, when we don't own the, the IP. 
so um, we decided that it was probably time for us to start funding our own research, um, at least maybe a couple of projects that we could productize, but at, at the very least that we could talk about publicly, that we can um, present at conferences, that we can talk about in the press. So we came up with two ideas. One is a um, consumer survey on remix cultural practices. Um, and what we're looking at is, is media habits there. So we're looking at film, video, TV, games, uh, software applications, images, and music. Um, and as we started getting into that consumer survey, um, it sort of launched the idea for, for this second project that we're working on, and that's a Web 2.0 matrix. Um, it's, a, it's a scoring index of um, uh, up-and-coming companies. So what we started to do was try to figure out what, what is Web 2.0. Um, and I, you know, I personally actually despise the, um, that well, nomenclature. I think it's a terrible word. Um, and one that's going to seem incredibly dated um, sure. in the not-too-distant future, but it seems to be sticking, so let's use it for now. Um, so what we started to do was um, figure out what are the characteristics of a Web 2.0 company um, and started to lay out a matrix. And what we saw was that um, there's probably about eight defining characteristics for a Web 2.0 company. And um, what's interesting is that as we started going through them, we saw that some of them were, um, they were almost mirror images of each other. It's really, um, some of them are um, user benefits and some of them are supply side benefits or, or the content owner's benefit. But they're, they're sort of flip sides of the same coin. So what are those? I don't want to, I don't want to get into too much because I don't want to, you know, <laughs> give away the recipe. Yep. But we did um, look at things like network and um, four elements, like I said, flip side of each one. There's network, identity, community, and location. Um, and then within those four um, elements, there's, they split into two, the supply side benefit and the demand side benefit. So, um, you know, for, for network, you have network effects. That's, you know, somewhat obvious. It's, uh, you know, the um, there's Metcalf's law. The value of a network is proportional to the square of the numbers of users in the system. Yep. Let's not, you know, belabor that one. But basically to consumers, that means that a, that a site or an application gets more interesting and more useful as other users engage in it. Um, so a business, a business that's able to effectively leverage the network effects in its design will become more and more successful at attracting and retaining customers than one that doesn't. Pretty simple. Layman, layman call that community. Right. <laughs> Right, but for it to really be effective, the growth has to be offset by a reduction in cost. You don't want it to, to exponentially cost more to attract those new consumers. Yeah. So a site that lets its users recruit other users, um, which lowers its marketing and customer acquisition costs, um, achieves virality, which is sort of the yep. flip side of network effect. Yep. Um, we also look at things like customizability. Um, you know, is the, is the user able to specify which content and which features they're going to access, how they organize that content? Um, are there customization tools um, that will not only attract users but retain them as well? Um, and then, you know, the, the flip side of that, the, you know, customizability, again, is the, the benefit to consumers, to users. The flip side is nichification. So um, a successful Web 2.0 publisher that's able to, to leverage that kind of customization tools will, um, will be able to mine lots of rich psychographic data about their users, and they'll be able to spot emerging tastes, emerging trends, and, um, again, lower production and delivery costs um, because they're, being able, they're, they're able to preformat content to suit the, the needs of specific segments um, or niches. So, you know, we're, we're taking a look at a couple of different other elements. Um, we take a look at things like participation, 
um, portability, geo-relevance. Um, I don't think that for every Web 2.0 company out there, geo-relevance is, is going to be that important. Um, there are some collaboration tools that uh, negate geo-relevance, <laughs> but um, what we're seeing is that more and more um, geo-relevance is becoming increasingly important. Um, Especially on dating sites. <laughs> not just dating sites. Everything from, um, there's a site called Podbop, where um, it's essentially a mashup of um, uh, events and music listings with maps. Yeah, I've seen it. So you can go hit, see the bands in your area. See the bands in your area and actually listen to podcasts of their performances. Yeah, yeah, that's a good um, idea, don't you think? Yeah, I do. I think it's a good idea. You know, where are they right now? You know, there isn't a lot of content there. They have the potential for, um, for larger network effects, larger virality, but at this point, um, it's actually pretty slim. So the question becomes for, for a site like Podbop, how do they increase that? So what we're trying to do is lay out where, where these types of sites lie along these eight characteristics um, on a, using, a, using a scoring uh, matrix that we've come up with. And then um, the idea is this will be a living document, that we're taking a look at, at where it is today, um, and a, like I said, a site like Podbob right now doesn't really have um, as much content as it potentially could. So we're not looking at potentially what are the network effects or potentially what is the customizability because we all know that those are infinite for all of these sites. Yeah. We're looking at where are they today and um, hopefully this will be a tool that will not only help sites like Podbop and others, but it will also help potential investors and potential um, media corporations that are looking to, to acquire some of these companies. And how will we get our hands on this? Um, TBD. <laughs> we're still figuring oh, out. Um, you what... little teaser girl, you. I know, I know. Well, we're, you know, we're just starting to lay, you know, we've already come up with the, with the framework, and we're starting to lay out where these companies are along this matrix. Um, you know, we're, we're figuring it would probably be some sort of written report, um, and hopefully that will be a, um, sort of a, another teaser into consulting services. Okay. Um, I do know that for the web to, uh, the, the we, uh, sorry, remix survey that we're doing, that will definitely be a written research report. Okay. Um, um, touch so, on that just shortly because I've got about five minutes left with you and sure. 20 more questions. So sure. uh, <laughs> let's keep it a little more high level. Um, sure. t tell us about the remix um, concept. Explain that. Sure. Well, um, again, we were at a conference, and everyone is talking about Remix um, marketing mashups and um, Remix habits and um, YouTube, and nobody has any data, um, at least nothing that is um, publicly available. I think a few companies are doing their own research, but there's really nothing out there that acts as a benchmark. So we decided that maybe there's an opportunity for us um, to do that. So we decided to fund um, our own research with a, a partner company called IntelliSurvey out here. They're a, a survey company. And um, what we're doing is a um, hopefully semi-annual um, benchmarking survey of consumer media habits as it relates to Remix. So like I said, we're looking at video, games, software, images, and music, five categories. Nice. And within that, um, you, you sort of have subcategories about social networking or, or make your own ads like the Chevy Tahoe ad or the marketing MasterCard, um, the MasterCard priceless ad. So we're taking a look at um, who are these people? <laughs> who, who actually creates these types of mashups? Um, and not only who are they, but what drives them? Mm. What is the um, compelling... Um, force, motivation behind um, creating these types of um, 
these types of mashups. So um, are they doing it, you know, just for the fun of it? Is it because they have professional aspirations? Is it a form of cultural criticism? Is it satire or parody? Is it social protest? Um, is it because they're a fan or, you know, they find it, um, you know, they, they want to amuse and impress their friends? Um, are they doing it to win a contest? So, you know, trying to, trying to get deeper into what drives um, the types of people who create marketing mashups um, and, and other types of mashups. Um, we also want to know um, what their opinions are on copyright uses of copyrighted materials, which we think is kind of interesting. Um, how they think it applies to um, mashups. Um, we ask them open-ended question, what is your fam- favorite remix or mashup? And I think we'll be pleasantly surprised with the results there, actually, um, in terms of figuring out how people define mashup. And then we ask them really basic um, demographic questions and media consumption habit questions. So now, um, are you device ownership. Be, are you going to be... Um providing some of the answers to this research when you do your marketing mashup moderating session at AdTech New York on November 8th? I will indeed, Susan. Good. (laughs) Um, All right, great. We will probably um, start releasing some of the data in September that's related to, um, uh, not to the marketing side, but to the um, media side. So um, things like uh, uh, consumption habits and... um, uh, what what their favorite remix is, things like that. Great. Um, that's not marketing specific, um, but would be interesting to um, someone like Fox or Viacom. Um, and then what we're planning on doing is having sort of a phased rollout of um, of releases about this. So in November, we're planning on releasing um, information on the marketing mashups that we ask questions about. Good. So yeah, excellent. <laughs> look, look for it in November eighth. We will. I think it will be very interesting to find out what the consumer insights are behind this behavior so mm-hmm. marketers can better leverage it instead of everyone doing essentially the same concept. There's got to be riffs on this, uh, on this scheme, you know, and so it will be interesting oh. to find that out. I have another Absolutely. question for you. Uh, you have a good blog, and you recently posted a funny little piece on um, – um, uh, a practical joke on YouTube. Would you, would you like to share that with the audience? Sure. Um, well, YouTube fooled us. <laughs> um, exactly. YouTube, um, it was um, pretty simple. We thought we were, um, you know, breaking some sort of news here, but um, YouTube basically um, was rolling out a couple of new site features, and um, before they did that, they... Um, uh, basically put the, on their front page, um, YouTube, all your video are belong to us, which is um, you know, an, an Internet meme that's gone around for a few years now um, a, uh, from a video game. And, um, you know, we thought that they had been hacked, and um, it turns out that um, we weren't the only ones. Quite a few sites were reporting that YouTube was hacked, um, but they actually were just playing a practical joke. Um, it was YouTube themselves who, who took down um, their site and, Put up that placeholder. Um, it wasn't um, wasn't that obvious, so it, it cracked us up. But um, we we actually think that um, you know when it comes to um, site maintenance and as it relates to your audience, um, it, it might be better to maybe be um, a little bit more honest <laughs> towards um, in order to build some goodwill towards towards your audience. It's it's funny, but um, you know maybe have something you know if they scroll down, they can see that the site's just down for maintenance. 
Well, anybody who's used to watching uh, ninja videos is probably fine with this kind of customer support joke. Right. You have another really good post on the blog about the dog whistle, and I thought that was a crack-up. I loved how the tables were turned. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, That one we love as well. Um, Basically, um, it turns out that as you get older, you're hearing um, uh, declines, that um, it's... um, Younger people are able to um, hear sounds that older people are not. And um, it turns out that there's a, um, what they call a dog whistle that only teens can hear um, that was being used in England to keep them from loitering outside of stores. It was, um, it's an annoying sound that um, they thought would repel teenagers, but um, what happened is that they co-opted it for their own use. They actually um, took the tone and used it as a ringtone um, since most schools disallow the use of cell phones in schools, um, they use it as a ringtone so their teachers can't hear it, but, um, but they could. And then it became, um, it, the rumor was that this was all um, a, a big practical joke, that it didn't exist, and then it turns out the New York Times actually did a report on it and, um, about a week or two ago and actually uh, put the ringtone on their site, which, um, amazingly, I could hear. <laughs> I'm outside <laughs> the demographic, but... Uh, I could hear it. I don't know if they played around with it um, for their for their older older audience, but um, Aram and I could both clearly hear the ringtone. Oh, see, this is good. If you're starting to feel a little old, you feel like you're a little decrepit today, you can go prop up your ego by listening to the teen ringtone on the New York right, Times right. website. I like cool. that. I may need that it. today. And so one last question for you. Mm-hmm. The, um, you had a nice posting about the um, indecency bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the indecency on television. Um, briefly describe it in case anyone's not up to date on it, but then um, I'd love your um, analysis of its impact on everything we've been talking about with you know, consumer-generated video content and what's happening with the web. Sure. Um, well, basically, um, a few weeks ago, the House passed a bill that increased the fines for indecency on, on television and radio um, tenfold. So... Um, it is now about $325,000 per violation with a cap of $3 million. Um, so that's, that's a serious amount of money we're talking about. Um, it's, a, it's a huge disincentive for, um, for media companies um, in terms of uh, pulling stunts like the Janet Jackson um, breast Super Bowl stunts. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the take that we had was that um, this, is not, um, this is not a good thing for America. Um, we don't think that it will make Americans better people. Yeah. Um, we actually think that this will hasten consumer abandonment of mainstream media because, um, you know, what it amounts to is a type of censorship. And um, as long as you have the web, you have cable, you have other media channels that are um, still relatively uncensored, you'll see um, an acceleration in the, in the decline of traditional broadcasting. Right. Um, we also think that it undermines um, the, the economics of the broadcast industry and the product quality. Um, so we actually, you know, the, the idea that um, you have advertiser defection to other channels um, and government fines creating a, a dual threat to broadcast industries, um, it, it, um, it actually um, results in a powerful disincentive um, for, for broadcasters to create innovative programming. And we're already seeing that um, in, in cable television. You know, the, the edgiest, most interesting programming out there um, is not reliant on, um, on advertisers, nor is it reliant on government intervention. 
Um, and then, it, you know, it, it, you'll start to see consumers um, moving into paid channels more and more. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for the government to get involved in the Internet that way, won't it? Hey, um, we are out of time, Marissa. It, it went fast, didn't it? It did go fast, but it was a good talking to you, Susan. Well, you had lots of good things to say. I oh, think thanks. we can do a whole hour together very easily. We didn't I would even love get to the Anytime. work you did on defining engagement for Nielsen. We didn't get to your local market measurements for the OPA. We didn't get to the rich media stuff you're doing for right. DoubleClick. So I think we got another show in us. What do you think? That sounds great to me. Good. Anytime. All right. Well, whoever wants to get to know you better can come to AdTech New York. I'm sure you're speaking elsewhere, and that can be found on RadarResearch.com. We're yep. going to go to a commercial break, and thank you again, Marissa. Thanks so much, Susan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sit tight and don't move. AdTech Connect. We'll be right back. For the last decade, millions of visitors seeking top ranking have visited their site. When it comes to the internet marketing expertise, one name clearly stands above the rest. Bruce Clay Incorporated. With a flexible, time-tested, and spam-free process to SEO and PPC, Bruce Clay has become the number one choice for companies of all kinds seeking to improve their search engine ranking, utilize their latest tools, training, consulting, and services. Let Bruce Clay create a tailored solution to meet your internet marketing needs today. Bruce Clay Incorporated. Once a tool used exclusively for communicating with the media, PR Web was the first company to develop a distribution strategy around direct-to-consumer communication by implementing Web 2.0 technologies. PR Web has completed the online communication loop by directly engaging your audience with your news. For example, PR Web is the first newswire to integrate press release trackback. Whether you want to dominate your market or just make a little noise, PR Web is here to help. You thrive in the marketplace and the media. PR Web. With over 30,000 clients and eight years of experience, West Host is not your basement hosting company. Starting at $3.95 a month, West Host offers the lowest price virtual private server technology in the industry, yet they don't sacrifice their world-class data center or superior 24-7 client support. Sign up at westhost.com today and get the hosting technology and real support your business needs at prices you can't find from other hosts. Westhost.com. That's westhost.com. W-E-S-T. HOST.com. When you expect more from your web host. If you think Webmaster Radio.fm is smoking now, well, you ain't seen nothing yet, man. All right. <laughs> September 15, 16, and 17, it's a Search Bash Jamaica. Come to Jamaica for one of the biggest bashman party. Come rub elbows with the web's greatest marketing minds. <laughs> Dude, that's great. You and a friend lying on the beach, sipping rum punch, and get a full body all around. Mm. This is Ironman. <laughs> Find all the info at searchbash.com. Air, transportation, hotel, photos, and registration. Come hang out with the coolest people online at digital marketing. Yeah, we be jamming, man. Jamming with your Webmaster Radio show host. This is Greg. I need a beer in Ireland. Hook up with some old friends. <laughs> it's a life experience you'll never forget. Excellent. Search Bash. Jamaica. In case you haven't been listening, I'll repeat myself. It's a happening thing in a Negril Jamaica. 
To register and get all pertinent information, go to searchbash.com. Seize and seconds, get out and come down to Jamaica Searchbash 2006. Hosted by webmasterradio.fm. Like now, I'm ready to go. Now, back to Ad Tech Connect, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host. Hey, Mon, this is Susan Bratton, and I am signed up for Search Bash. I've got my little place booked in the grill, and we can't wait to go. Um, anybody who's listening is open to come. All you have to do is go to webmasterradio.fm and sign up to go to Search Bash. It's uh, in September in Jamaica. Hope you'll come. Uh, okay, so we have, we are now on to the little people. We have Len Ostroff, the CEO of Rovion, on. Hi, Len. Hey, Susan, how are you? I'm fantastic. And Good. boy, oh boy, we have just been talking about video innovation um, for the last hour. And so you are the cherry on the Sunday today. Well, my goodness, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so for those who have not heard of Rovion, why don't we give them a little bit of an overview? Sure. Um, Rovion, uh, we'd like to say we're the, we're the creator and leading provider of borderless streaming video solutions for Okay, wait a minute, Len. Len, Len, What Len. does that mean? What huh? the hell was that? Borderless right. okay. streaming came... video solutions? I'm sorry? Dude, you got to talk in real talk. It's little real people. Talk. Just explain it really simply. We, take, we, we provide borderless streaming video, which means we can take a video and put it on a website without the four walls of a traditional video player. So if you want, if you want Susan Bratton to appear on the AdTech webpage to welcome people to the site without having to modify the page to fit video in and, and, and modify the content accordingly, we can do that for you. Our videos reside right on top of any content on any webpage on the Internet. So it's a, a human body person or head talking host that overlays on top of the web page when you get there to tell you about the site and what's going on or to, to uh, give you a message about the content that's on that page. Exactly right. And it can be used not just on, on your own site to welcome people to the site or used for testimonials or used to, to point out coupons or promotions, etc., but it can also be used as an advertising unit on third-party sites to drive people back to your site for both branding and direct response. So what percentage? It's, it's pretty disruptive. And I, I know you can you know, turn it off and there's frequency caps and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's disruptive, but that's a good thing to me. I, I, think, it's, you know, I think it's great technology, so it's not a, not a complaint. But um, it, I'm sure that for most publishers, having a marketer's spokesperson on their site isn't maybe their favorite thing. I bet you're getting a lot more traction in the, I'm putting this person on my own site as a marketer. Is that true? Well, you know, it's funny. I would say as of six months ago, that absolutely was the case. Most of our clients, the majority of our clients were using it on their own sites to drive promotions, etc. right? But now what we found is that I, I believe that there's such a, that, that prices are moving upward, as we all know, that there's uh, people still don't know how to implement video. They're seeing some degradation in click-through rates and other interactivity rates with other rich media as well as with banners, etc. And they're looking for something new and different. And what, what the requests that we've gotten over the past three or four months have, have almost solely been for network-type buys, campaigns. Uh, so I, it, it really is an interesting shift, and we are quite aware of the 
disruptive nature as, as you deemed it, and and certainly um, want to make this as polite an introduction as possible. And with that in mind, we've recently introduced what we call a silent start version, mm-hmm. which means that the first the first X seconds of the video begin to play. Let's say the first second and a half video begins to play, and the person comes onto the screen, and then they wait for the user to take an action. So it's muted. And if the person doesn't take any action, meaning roll over or click on it, then the video just fades off, you know, five, six, seven seconds later, however long the, the client wants. If they do click on or, or mouse over the video, the video begins to play. So we have this running on the AdTech site right now. We tried it with you in, for the San Francisco show, and I went into uh, the CBS studios, and uh, you shot me saying some things for the different pages we wanted me to appear on, and then I was overlaid, and uh, when you hit that page, I appeared. Now we have Laura Lee Albin from Albin Designs, who is our key, one of our keynotes for AdTech Chicago, welcoming you to the AdTech site. Um, what kind of statistics or metrics do you deliver to uh, the ad tech marketer? Well, we provide, I would say probably much like all other rich media providers of which if we were to lump ourselves into a group, that's I guess where we would end up. We provide um, information through an online portal, which all of our clients have access to and all the data is explored for Excel, etc. But basically information such as did the first frame of the video play, did somebody watch the entire video, did they click on the video? Did they put their mouse over it, mute it, unmute it, pause it, play it, close it? All that sort of good, rich data is available. So where do you see this going, Len? Right now it's um, talking hosts. Where does it go from here? Well, I think there are a number of places that we, we are in the process of taking the technology. And it's not just um, hosts. It, while, while most of the videos we've done have been of people or, 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 um, or animated um, objects. We've done buses. We've done cars. We've done an integration of people with cars. We're running a campaign right now with um, Maxim Magazine and Pontiac where uh, Kelly Carlson, who's the, the, one of the stars of the, sh- the FX show Nip Tuck, comes onto the screen and welcomes people to the site and tells them about this great Pontiac promotion they have going on. And then we have a Pontiac Solstice appear to drive up behind her. So there's a lot of creative stuff that we can do that's not just a spokesperson. But I think it goes, we take it in a number of different directions. Um, The first would be being able to do some things uh, with resolving in and out of banner ads and traditional on-page units. Oh, nice. So a person could be in the banner and then walk out of that onto the screen. Exactly. exactly. I like that. Are you doing that now or working on that? We, we have, we have uh, all of the bits and pieces in place, and it's a matter of turning the, turning the switch. Oh, good. So you just need a good client. We, and we've got, there are a number of folks that have said, hey, I want to take that initiative. So I, I would expect to see something relatively shortly um, out okay. there. And there are a number of other places we can go in creating um, videos for the mass market. Such as? Such as um, you know, a, creating creating ten, fifteen, twenty tax tips, right? For just just as for examples purposes, that maybe the local tax preparer in town has a website and they're doing some promotion in 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 their local town, driving people to their website so they can learn more about them. And oh, by the way, as a value add for X dollars a month, they can uh, purchase these tax tips from us, put us put them on their website. And really become, you know, a content, add additional content to their site. 
So this is essentially temporally delivered advertising, or a.k.a. Burma Shave, <laughs> right? I guess in some respects you could look at it that way. Yeah, delivering one bit of data at a time at, over time. The, you know, the idea of creating content, um, I, I just... I. I'm sure you do too, but I won't put words in your mouth. The, the internet is becoming much more interactive um, as, as, as broadband gets further propagated. And having some, some compelling content uh, presented to the visitor, that's contextually relevant. That, that really is a critical piece. Uh, you know, if you're going to a tax site and you see, you see somebody telling you, giving you 10 tips on how to maintain your car, that doesn't make any sense. But if you're going to a site that where you're already looking for information, here's a quick little 20-second snippet, it, it's a very strong way to, to uh, integrate that information deep into that person's brain. Well, and, and so many people, everyone learns in a different way. There's auditory learners, there's visual learners, there's kinesthetic learners. I don't think you've gotten the kinesthetic down yet, but you've definitely brought in an element for the auditory learners so that they can get a bit of inf- they can hear a bit of information before they decide what they want to do. And I really like the idea of the, the in-person person, now you call it in-person, the in-person person, um, saying, click on me to learn more. That must be incredible. My sense is that's incredibly effective. The, the response rates that, that we see on a typical campaign, okay, typical would be mid to high single-digit click-through rates. And that's just, that's fairly average for us. We've got some campaigns now that are in the, somewhere, some of them are, are, are uh, 15, 18%, and I've got one campaign right now that's running in the 20 to 25% range click-through, which as still, it, it, remember, it, I guess in many, in many cases, it's still an advertising unit. So yeah. it's still advertising, and we're seeing just unbelievable response rates to this stuff. If there was a, I always, somewhere in the show, ask someone for their wish. If there was a wish that could be granted to you from our listening audience of lovely digital marketing folks, is there a certain thing that you'd like to have happen with the Rovion technology or a certain company that you think it would be perfect for or a certain application you want developed? What would that be? Well, you know, if, if, if it was a wish, I think a really fun thing to do, uh, and this is, this is really client-specific, so I have larger wishes, but, but in this particular case, client-specific, I'd love to do something with Apple and the... Uh, the shadowed dancing iPod person. Mm-hmm. I think that would just be a great, great campaign. Don't you think it's like a universal disappointment in our industry that Apple's never done anything good with online advertising? It's shocking to me considering what they've done on air is so creative and out there. And what they've done with billboards. They spend so much money on billboards, yet they're not online in any significant way. And here they are, you know, to three minutes from my house in the heart of Silicon Valley. What the hell is wrong with them? I, I, I don't know. I don't, maybe, maybe you can knock some sense into them and uh, we can get somebody to start this campaign. I can't. I call them, you know, I've programmed 20 ad tech shows in the last five years, and I've never gotten a single person from Apple Computer to speak at our show. I have to think it's because they're so lame that they have nothing to say about Internet advertising. I'm going to stay away from that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping someone from Apple hears it and goes, oh, my God, we have to go speak at AdTech. They just have no idea all the great things we're doing. Let's go spend $400 million in Internet advertising. <laughs> we would love that. We would love to take some small percentage of that. <laughs> and you'll take 1% for Rovion, please.
Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Well, now, um, are you guys going to be at AdTech Chicago? That's the next show coming up. We will. Thank, thank you for bringing that up. Yes, and, and uh, we love working with you guys, and uh, we think that, that um, at least the response that we've gotten from folks that have seen our technology on the AdTech site, especially with you up there, um, it's been really positive. Hey, did you guys do that? That's really great. How do I, how do I, uh, you know, use that for my site or my clients, etc. So, nice. we'll be there. I don't know if we have a booth number assigned yet, but um, we were at AdTech oh, we'll San Francisco, which, which is great. I mean, we were at we were at AdTech San Francisco, which was really our coming out party, um, the first trade show we did. It was tremendous. I cannot say enough about how great that show was. Thanks, Tom. And I was at Chicago last year just walking around, and, I, and I, it was extraordinarily well done. It was, it was great. So we're looking forward to it. Thank you so much. That's awesome. And, and, you know, kudos to the ad tech team for wanting to always do that kind of next generation stuff. They do a really good job with that. They so it's a, it's a partnership made in heaven. And, um, you know, gosh, just go to rovion.com and check it out because it's a cool, cool thing. Uh, Len, we've got a break now, and I'm so pleased that you came on today. Thank you very much for sharing um, the vision of your technology, and uh, let's hope Apple was listening. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and I appreciate it, and I'll see you in Chicago. I'll see you in Chicago. All right, next week, uh, tune in to Speaking of a Girl with Scott Schiller of Glam Media and Brian Sugar of Sugar Publishing for a little pop and glam. I'll be back and see you next week. Have a great day. This is Susan Bratton.